Well, I just want to talk about Steve for a few minutes. Uh, Steve Witt is one of my heroes, and there, there are several reasons for that. He, um, like uh, no one I've ever known personally, uh, weathered uh, terminal cancer twice, which is a, a misnomer. Terminal cancer should only be once and then it's terminal, right? Nevertheless, Steve, uh, you know, the Lord just walked him through that. And it's been so amazing. And I've had an opportunity just to be a part of his life and Cindy's life uh, over the years. When did we meet, Steve? You were saying tonight, what, it was 20 years ago we met? 1998, Steve and I met. And um, when I left Morningstar to start this church, he was a real encouragement to me. He invited me up and let me speak in his place and bless me and uh, my family. And you remember things like that. There are people who... um, you know, when you're in, in a transition or you're in sort of an insecure place, uh, you, you really do remember and treasure the people that reach out and do what they know to do to try to help you. And Steve Witt is one of those guys to me. And I really, I really thank you and appreciate that, Steve. You've been a, a real encouragement. Uh, Steve's a well-studied gentleman, Master of Theology from Ashland Theological Seminary. He's been a pastor for close to 40 years. Is church plant in Cleveland, Ohio, back in 1996, is now Bethel, Cleveland. Um, he's very close associate for a number of years with John Arnott. How many of you are aware of who John Arnott, the Toronto John Arnott, the Toronto Blessing? Uh, Steve traveled to 25 nations, fanning the flames of revival. And we were talking tonight about how the power of God has touched people over the years in extraordinary ways, and. Um, just incredible things happen that are that that can be you know sort of disconcerting um, there's something that happens when God moves in power there's like this divine chaos that can uh, that can happen and I've been in meetings where people were laughing crying rolling um, by the power of God and critics have looked at that and have really criticized how awkward and strange it looks, but what Steve knows and what I know, both experientially and through study and consideration, in his case, thousands of people's lives were changed in ways that academia and study and Bible head knowledge, although it's very important, could not touch. It's it's something, you know, when, when the power of God really touches people, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, um, it's, it's so amazing what can happen. It so, can be so transformative. And um, I think Steve said he had a psychologist. Are you going to talk about this tonight? Am I stealing part of your deal here? But there was, a, was it a, not a, a psychologist, social psychologist? Sociologist studied the Toronto blessing. And almost without exception, the people who had been touched to the thousands said, well, the basic common characteristic of what had happened there was they loved God more and they loved people better. They loved God more, they loved people better. And yet it was it was highly criticized. I know people going to church for years, they don't love God better and they don't love people either. So, you know, what you going to say? Hey, listen, if going to church did it, I'd have been there and back twice. 
If sitting in meetings did it, I'd have been done down there and back two or three. Christopher McMillan's the most learned man in the room. His years at Morningstar, all those conferences, he has heard thousands of messages, and look at what shape he's in tonight. So, no, I was just messing with him. But, no, there's, there's, there's the Word and the Spirit. There's the power of the Word, and then there's the power of the Spirit. And it takes um, God's choosing and how he's going to touch and, and help uh, each one of us. And um, I just love those times when the Holy Spirit moves. It it's, it's, can be so uncomfortably wonderful. Anyway, I got fired up there for a minute, didn't I? But, you know, I was thinking back to times in my life when God touched me. And um, I'm, I'm 66 years old. I got no business still loving Jesus based on the way I've been treated in the church all these years. <laughs> <laughs> there, can, there can be like only one reason. Jesus really is good and the Holy Ghost is real. Oh, man. Come on, somebody out there. Let me, I'm, I'm, Steve, you're not, I, you may as well go home, bro. I'm, a, I'm on a roll. I'm just preaching myself cheerful, maybe not happy yet, but cheerful. But there's something so wonderful about a God who when he touches you, you get happier. You really get happy. For the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and sternness in the Holy Ghost. No, joy in the Holy Ghost. What would God look like if he were happy? Oh, my. Anyway, Steve's an awesome, uh, awesome man. Uh, he's got amazing areas of skill, the prophetic, uh, he has these activations and mobilization he teaches in churches, marriage and destiny planning, uh, just so many different things. Wit up here tonight. And um, Steve, come ahead. We just love you so much. All right. Well, it's good to be here tonight. And... Uh, I thought you were going to preach there a minute, so I was ready, though. Ready to enjoy you preaching. A couple of things, just real quick. Um, the resource table, just to get this out of the way, in case Holy Spirit moves and we don't want to talk about these things. I have um, a book that I wrote out there called Voices, which is all about learning the language of heaven out at the table. And this other book, I didn't write this, but a friend of mine did actually from Toronto, Catch Fire, uh, Gordon Harris wrote this book. It's the first book he ever wrote. He's um, written, he's uh, probably in his early 40s, really smart guy and uh, saturated in the Holy Spirit. And you imagine if you're on staff in Toronto, Catch the Fire, you're, you've been in the presence of God a lot. And uh, he wrote this book, Oriented. And if you're disoriented, this would be a good book. The subtitle is Making Sense of the World and the Place, Your Place Within It. It's not like a guidebook. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's won multiple awards uh, this book has. It's so well written and it's anointed that it's the kind of book when you start reading it, he's a masterful storyteller and, and uh, his application. I probably have sold, uh, I don't know, maybe 500 of these books. I was so touched by it last year. 
read it through several times, but we've got it out there. We don't have very many copies of it. We might have 10 or so, I don't know. 10, yeah, 10, there we go, out there. But you'll like, if you want a really good read, a book that I, I would say money back guarantee, but I'm leaving tomorrow, so there's no money back. But um, you, you'll really enjoy this book. And if you want, you can pick it up and read maybe the first three or four uh, pages. And I, I think it'll hook you. You'll, you'll love it. And it really clears the air as far as where you are in your relationship with the Lord. It's such a grace-filled yet inspiring, motivating book. You're going you're gonna to really like it. Also, I've got some creeds out there. I've been producing creeds. I just really believe in confessing God's word. And I, I did these huge posters at first. A lot of people bought them to put in hospital rooms. And then people came in with Sharpies and wrote on it their creed, their personal creed for the person in the hospital bed. I was just in a hospital room Monday. And it was one of the creeds up on the wall, healing creed. One of them is a healing creed, looks like this. And then the other one is an identity creed for those who are suffering with who they are and who God made them to be. And it's just a confession. It's a confession with about 60 different scriptural phrases around it. If someone you know is discouraged or suffering physically, some debilitating disease, uh, this is something that uh, they would enjoy. And actually, what we... The biggest demand is for these refrigerator magnets. And uh, people just like having, I guess that's where we spend a lot of our time is looking at a refrigerator. And uh, you put a creed on there and you're bound to confess some things. And when you confess things, I mean, it's just the power of God really opens up your world. So anyway, check those. By way of introduction, uh, I've got really pleasant memories about Charlotte. Back in 1994, on January 22nd, I arrived here. Now that's significant because I lived, I was living in Canada at the time. I, the Lord told me in 1983 to move to Canada. He was about to send a revival that would touch the nations of the world. And uh, it was a very vivid thing. It's one of the, really one of the only open visions I've ever had in my life. And so I got my, I was pastoring a church, got my family together. It took us, it took us three years to get disentangled from where we were. Have you ever, have you ever been tangled up? disentangled. We finally go up there. By the time I got up there, I was wore out. You know, just sometimes getting to where God wants you to be can be a real challenge. And I got up there and the first eight years were were really challenging. So much so that I think my church up there, I was, I was in a, uh, you know, people say they're in difficult places. I really do understand that. And I think there are places that are more difficult than others. And I was in Eastern Canada in a city of about 100,000, very uh, religious city, uh, uh, all the churches, there had not been a new church plant there for, uh, I think it was 40 years when I, when I arrived to plant a church. And they didn't really want any new churches, you know. And so I started out with, uh, we had 20, uh, I think it was 22 people the first Sunday. And then the next Sunday we had 11. So that just kind of shows you what it was like. The uh, first eight years, and so I think our church realized that yeah, we were doing okay. I mean, we started growing and all that stuff, but it was really difficult. And uh, in the eighth year, the church decided that I needed a sabbatical. You know, sometimes you just look at your pastor or your leader and you think, wow, they need a break. And so they, uh, they took up an offering and they, they sent me off for 10 weeks. I thought it was going to be like a coup. And at that time, I didn't really care. Someone could take over and I would have been fine with it, you know, but... Uh, uh, so I got in my van with that time. I had uh, four little kids, three girls and a boy, and uh, 
my wife and we, we ventured out. We crossed the border on January 20th, 1994. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell with anybody, that's the day that the Holy Spirit showed up in Canada, the Toronto blessing. A massive blessing, by the way. Robin, I don't know if you know this, but five million people went through their doors in five years. Now, think about that. Five million people. Amazing. Uh, we would show up there uh, when the Toronto Blessing broke out, and it was a, a warehouse similar to this, really about the same size as this, the first one they were in. And there would be people lined up in the middle of the winter in Toronto. If you've never been there in the middle of winter, you don't know what winter is. Uh, they'd be four or five abreast all the way around the building for up to two hours prior to the service starting. And when I saw that, I thought, this is revival, man. There's nothing like this. So anyway, but before that happened, I'm on my sabbatical. You know, they're hoping that when I come back, I'm going to be a different person. And so uh, we made some contacts, and because of Jack Deere and Mike Bickle, they said they they arranged for me to come down here to Charlotte first. That was my first uh, stop. So I came to Charlotte. I, I arrived here about the uh, January 22nd, 1994. I had an appointment with Rick Joyner. And so, uh, long story, but uh, I'm sitting in uh, his outer office. I forget where it was now, but I don't know where you were in 94. But uh, And it was a guy in front of me who was kind of answering phones and, um, and things like He was like an administrative type guy. And, you know, he's very polite and everything. And uh, uh, I'm sitting there waiting for Rick to call me in. It's part of my sabbatical, you know, and he's going to pray for me and prophesy or you know, put jumper cables on me or something. I don't know. And uh, so I'm waiting, and uh, the guy in front of me, I think his name was Mike, uh, was in front of me, and he answers the phone, and this is pre-internet. I mean, the internet was really just kind of starting to take off for public use, but nobody was emailing. It was all faxes, you know. But anyway, they called, and uh, I could hear, you're kidding. Well, what's happening? Well, people are shaking. Well, I've seen it before. No, no. Wall, okay. The entire group falling out in the power of God. Well, and he's, he's saying all that. Now, remember, I'm a, I'm a hungry pastor who's a little bit discouraged. He's on a 10-week sabbatical. And so I hear that, and I think, well, you know, I hope it's here somewhere because then it would be close by, and I can, you know, I can go be a part of it or something, you know. And he goes, and all of a sudden he says, Toronto? You're kidding. And immediately I thought, Toronto? The Holy Spirit is in Toronto? Why didn't God tell me that? I don't want to, you know. And so it's, it's kind of God's way of uh, uh, messing with me or something because I had to wait 10 more weeks before I could go back to Canada to go to this, whatever they were calling it. And they were calling it a revival. There was a renewal. They really didn't know what to call it. They just knew that, hey, we're going to keep going every night until the Holy Spirit stops, you know. And so... Um, so I had a good sabbatical and it turned out okay. In fact, I had a great contact during that day when I was in Rick's office. Uh, 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 a guy walked in front of me uh, and had a, a vineyard jacket on. And uh, I was a vineyard pastor. And I saw that his name, it said Steve on there. And then at the back, it said Vineyard Christian Fellowship. He walked by and he acknowledged me. I acknowledged him, said hello, hello. And he kept walking and he stops about 15 feet away, and he turns around, comes back and says, who are you? And I said, uh, you know, part of me was like, none of your business. And the other part was like, uh, well, I'm Steve Witt, and I'm from Eastern Canada. And he said, oh, okay, well, stand up. 
And I, I stood up. I thought, well, this is, this is morning star. You never know what might happen, you know. And so I stood up. He takes off his jacket and he says, try this on. I put it on and it, it fit me and it said Steve, you know. So Steve gave Steve a jacket and he says, uh, it says uh, Vineyard Christian Fellowship on it. And I said, well, I'm a vineyard pastor. He said, well, there you go. It's your jacket. And, uh, and that was it. That was Steve Thompson. And that was the beginning of a very weird relationship with him over the years. We became very good friends. And uh, I still have that jacket uh, this day. But he also prophesied about that jacket, a very powerful thing about my future. And, and that's really not important to the point right now. But, but uh, in, in 94, it was here that God incited hunger in me for what was happening in Toronto. Now, why he had to bring me down here to basically show something that was happening in the country that I was living in at the time, I don't understand. So as soon as I got back home, I went over there, and I was telling uh, Robin a little bit about this uh, when we were eating a little while ago, but when I got over there, I, I took five guys with me, six of us. We ventured over there. It was kind of a fun trip. It was a little you know, road trip adventure uh, to see what was going on. By that time, 10 weeks had passed, and faxes were flying all over the world. I mean, it was so, the, the moment was so anointed. I don't know what term to even call it, really, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit in a minute, but it was so anointed that you could, and I hope no one gets offended by this. I, actually, I really don't care, but anyway, it's, uh, you, people were putting their hand, praying, putting their hand on the copying machine, making a copy, and then faxing it to six pe- sick people for them to lay hands on themselves. <laughs> and people were getting healed. That's kind of what was going on. And so when I heard that, you know, you, when you first hear that, especially when you're kind of dry and you're discouraged, you think, oh, come on, man, that's kind of hokey. And what, what's the next thing they're going to do, you know? And I mean, this is ridiculous. Or, or it, and it, it just, it, it was almost offensive in some ways, but I was hungry enough. You know, when you get hungry enough, you will, you will override things that you're troubled by if you sense that God's on the other side of this thing. And so I get over there to Toronto, you know, and I was raised in the church. My mother was a prophetic intercessor. I've been going to church since I was two weeks old. You go your entire life from when you're two weeks old, this is what you're going to look when you look like when you're 60, just so you know. So, uh, you know, I analyzing everything. It was a room just like this. It was a warehouse. It was packed solid. You know, I didn't get a seat. I got in there. We were sitting toward the back. And, you know, the worship was okay, but the sound wasn't quite right, you know. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, they really need someone to get this thing straightened out. There's a lot of kickback from uh, smack back from the front on this. You know, I'm, I'm doing what you do. You know, you start picking a part of service. And these people, I don't know, where are they from? And they seem like they're from all over the world. And, you know, we're now, uh, well, probably 13, 14 weeks in the Toronto Blessing at that point. It's being packed out every night, and people are coming from all over the world. They're starting to hear about it. And so I look around the room, and this guy gets up, this kind of uh, uh, giant of a man stands up there with one hand on his hip and the other hand with his Bible open and just begins to share. And, you know, it was good. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the best sermon I'd ever heard, but it was good, you know, and then I, I realized five or ten minutes into it, this is the, the pastor of the church, and, and I'm just, the whole thing was just a, a little bit unsettling for me, you know. But at the end, they did the ministry time thing where he said, look, in a minute, we just want to invite everyone up. And, um, uh, and so he had everyone stand up. I think he had people say, he told people to do something like, hold out your hand with your palms up, you know, and, 
And then, he, and then they just said, Holy Spirit, come. It was kind of a whimper thing because these were all vineyard churches for the most part. Holy Spirit, come. And then the Holy Spirit would come into the room and literally groups of people would collapse on the floor and laughter was breaking out. It was right up to Rodney Howard Brown, 93, 94. So it was kind of, kind of a bit of a spillover from that. Laughing, weeping. Um, but I hadn't seen anything yet. I mean, it was amazing. And so uh, I'm trying to help people because people are crashing in the chairs and everything. And I'm kind of a guy who wants to have some level of order. So I'm trying to help people. And some lady comes over me uh, like a, a security type person and says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm helping people. And they, and they said, well, don't, don't worry about them. You need to get prayer yourself. That's what they said. And so I went up front because I'm the leader of our group. And, you know, you got to go and brave, brave the thing and get up there and get prayer first. And I went up there and they asked me, they said, is anyone else here with you? And I said, there's five other guys. So they came. I motioned for them to come up. And they were a bit hesitant, but they came up and they took us into another room. You ever been to a church where all of a sudden they take you into another room? It was a little scary, you know. And so I went into the other room. They turned the lights on. They're those real slow warm-up lights. They're flickering, you know. And it's, oh, I was a little bit nervous. I mean, I've been raised in this, but I thought. And they said, look, we just, they explained briefly. They said, look, we're just going to pray for you. We're just going to lay a gentle hand on you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you and see what the Lord wants to do. I said, oh, okay. But I, I know how these things work. So I, I put myself in the, in the position of somebody who wants to make sure that it's going to be God. So I put one foot in front of the other and kind of braced myself because I've been in those things before where they're, you know, they're leaning you so far back that you have to do a, a, a courtesy drop on the floor just to, you know, just so they'll be happy and they'll leave you alone. And so, but, so I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the slap in the forehead or something. And they told us just to hold out our hands, the thing that we had done in the other room, we do it again. And this lady came by, uh, Mary Audrey uh, Raycroft came by and just laid a gentle hand on my hand. She just said, Holy Spirit, you love him so much. Just show him your, your love and your power, you know. And I fell on the floor and actually all six of us fell on the floor and that night was was probably one of the most extraordinary nights of my life. Even though I'd been raised in a very spirit-filled church, I'd seen some of these things before, but never seen it in mass like this. I mean, where everybody was just getting... And uh, so I'm laying there on the floor, and the only way I can describe it, it was like, it was like, um, I know this sounds a little bit gross, but it was like, it was like vomiting laughter. I laughed so hard. And I'm a pastor, so there's a lot of laugh muscles I hadn't used in a long time. You know, and so I'm laughing so hard, and, and, and I would just, it would start to settle down. I'd try to get control, you know, so that I could get up because, you know, we need to go. I don't know why we need to go, but we need to go. We need to get up and go and get some chicken wings or something. We need to, you know, the meeting's over. And, and I'd start to get up, and I'd look over at one of the other guys. They'd start laughing, and it was like, whoo, just this wave would come down, and we laugh. We were there for over an hour just laughing hysterically. And, uh, in fact, one of the guys, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he did some weird things. He took his shoes off and threw them at the other side of the, uh, the warehouse. And this is Toronto in, in April. So, I mean, you need your shoes. And, uh, I went over and got them and brought them back and you, you'd have thought I was bringing kryptonite, you know? He's like, I don't want them anymore. I thought, oh no, my gosh, his wife's going to kill me. We brought him up here and he's gone nuts. And, uh, and I said, why? And he goes, because that's what I used to walk in and I'm not going to walk in it anymore. Is this like prophetic thing going on? I thought, okay, we'll put him in a bag just in case, 
you get out in the parking lot in the snow and you might need those, you know. And so this is what was going on with the team. So we go back home. That night, I go to sleep. We laughed ourselves to sleep. It was such an incredible time. We're staying in the same little condo there. I got up the next morning. I, I, it was like a hangover. It, my, my, my head was throbbing. And I, I remember thinking immediately, like, is this the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You know, and what I realized was that I had, I had like pulled some muscles or something laughing the night before. I went in and looked in the mirror and I couldn't see my ears. My, my face was so swollen from laughter. I just, I just like really laughed hard, you know. And I was like, oh, 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 when can we go back? I mean, it was like, that was, that was amazing, man, you know. And so I thought, I'm going to call my dad in Louisiana because he wanted to know what was going on. This crazy place in Toronto. So I called him up real quick. I said, Dad, I'm in Toronto. He goes, oh, what's happening? I said, well, and I told him the story of what's happening. You know, he says, well, well, pray for me, you know. Now, th- this is my first victim. I've never had a, a post-Toronto blessing. So I just said, well, I'm gonna, Dad, just hold your hands out, palms up. He did it, you know, and, and I said, Holy Spirit, come. And all of a sudden I hear him laughing hysterically at the other end. And I can hear the phone kind of, cause it's, you know, it's 1994. So the phone's still on a cord and the cord and, and it's, the phone is kind of banging on the floor and he, and, and he's laying on the floor in the kitchen and his little chihuahua was running around him, apparently got some of the overflow of the spirit. It was all the way around him, you know, and I'm thinking, what is going on at the other end of the phone? And, and finally, he gets back on, up like he's climbing up a rope, you know, and he gets up to the, to the, to the phone. He says, he says, wow. He said, pray one more time. I said, Holy Spirit, come. And boom, he was out again. He's laughing hysterically. My mom comes in and thought I told him a really good joke. And she said, what in the world did you tell your father, you know? So I just, you know, told him, said, Holy Spirit, come. And, and so anyway, he went to church that night, went to the church, gave his testimony, got up and said, uh, and my, my brother who pastors the church said, well, you know, lead him in some kind of ministry or something since you were touched like that. And he said, well, you know, this is now, he's now, you know, 12 hours old in this move of the Holy Spirit. He says, well, everyone here tonight it was a Wednesday night service. He said, hold your hands out and just wait on the Lord like you're ready to receive something. So they all did that. And he just said, Holy Spirit, come. The entire church got wasted. Now he called me back. He told me what happened. I mean, it just broke out big time down there. And that's when I realized that it was highly contagious was highly contagious. So we spent three days there. I counted nine times when I was just totally impacted by the Lord. Now, I told you all that to tell you this, because this is what I want to share uh, just for the next few moments, is that that encounter, but that encounter, and then my continued soaking in that reality of the nearness and the love and the power and the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ expressed through the Holy Spirit was so impacting in my life. I mean, I was, I found the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ himself. And I, I was a Christian. I was spirit filled and all that, but there was something that blew up into a whole new place that I'd never been before. And because of it, I ended up, well, eventually I was asked to be on the apostolic team there with Heidi Baker and John Arnott. I was there for 10 years and then the Lord uh, moved me on to something different, but it was some of the 10 glorious years of my life. And I realized because of this, actually just the other day, I realized that the the relationship I have with the Lord right now is totally because of those three days and those moments moving into a 10-year period where the depth of relationship determined, determined the height of revelation. You know, relationship 
builds toward revelation, and revelation builds toward relationship, and relationship builds toward revelation. I mean, it can be proven over and over again through the Bible. Jesus was just loving on everybody in a very powerful way. Millions of people went around the world. Of course, we were thrust into this worldwide ministry. There were 29 itinerant ministers out of Toronto that went all over the world. They got so thin on people to send out, they literally started sending out their custodians, people that had no kind of training other than, hold out your hands with your palms up. My Lord, Holy Spirit, come. That's what they did. They traveled all over the world. We go all over the world, we'd preach a message, and the messages we preached almost felt like they were just something we needed to do, but really everyone was waiting for the end when we'd say, Holy Spirit, come. And the Holy Spirit was so eager to touch a hungry people. It's amazing. It's like heaven was hungry and earth was hungry on the same day. And because of it, it was this incredible relationship that, that came out of it, you know. So we'd go, I'd, I'd go to Japan. We, we spoke to a thousand pastors in Japan. I mean, I didn't know there was a thousand pastors in Japan. And the Holy Spirit came and every country we went to, the manifestations were different. It was really amazing. They had this kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, samurai kind of a thing going on over there where the way they were acting, they were chopping and moving and entire groups of them would fall on the floor and they'd jump right back up. And I just think, oh my gosh, man, we minister to the same people over and over again. And they'd go down. It was powerful. Out in the field in Holland, 3,000 people. We had fire tunnel, four different fire tunnels in four different languages. We had a French fire tunnel, an English fire tunnel, a German fire tunnel, and a Dutch fire tunnel. And so the power of God was just moving to way into the night in the morning. Over in Mexico, 5,000 people we ministered to. And the wind of the Holy Spirit came down the room and knocked everybody down across the room. And a guy got up with a uh, an instrument. I forget what instrument it was. And played and just waves of the Holy Spirit moving across the room. In Berlin, we met in a cathedral that Hitler used to gather his troops together to inspire them to go out to war. All the scriptures on the wall were war scriptures. And so we stood there and we preached to thousands of people. We watched an East Berlin men, 80-year-old men from an East Berlin orchestra playing under the power of the Holy Spirit. I was in the front row just feeling the push of the Spirit from the music. It was all the way the music was doing. It was, And I looked down the row and the entire row was moving back and forward like waves of the ocean. And I looked back and entire groups of people with rivers of people falling out in the power of God. I mean, when you do that for about five or six years, you start, there's a deeper hunger that comes in you and you go deeper in the Lord. Not that deeper means that, you know, you're going to wave around and all that stuff. I get that. I mean, I know, I understand that deeper is a whole aspect of the spirit. But these people were so hungry. They were receiving of the Lord and their physical bodies manifestly could not take it. And so amazing things happen. I usually don't talk about any of the stuff that happened because people really get troubled in their mind. But let me just take, tell, tell you this way. A lot of boundaries were extended out. As God began about this week because, or just driving down here today, because of coming to Charlotte, I thought that Charlotte for me was like a, it was a turning point because I, I heard about what was going on in Toronto. The Lord created a hunger, forced me to stay down in this region of the country for 10 weeks without being able to go back there in order to create a hunger that would be so strong that would propel me for the next 23 years. So look with me real quick, if you could, into Luke chapter 9. I just want to share something and, and maybe share a few things that, that might help us out. Here's the bottom line, though. Here's my thesis for the night. The bottom line is, is that as you begin to behold God, 
you are going to be changed. Now, here's the deal. Studying the word of God can change your life. Spending time in the presence of God can change your life. Hanging out with good Christian brothers and sisters can change your life. I mean, there's a lot of things that can really impact you. But there's something about be, having an encounter with God that brings you into a whole new place in the spirit. And when you feed into that, and you, let me tell you, I believe hunger, obviously aside from faith, hunger is possibly the strongest currency in mankind. That if you hunger, the Bible says you will be fed. And so it's almost like hunger is magnetic. That was you have hunger toward the Lord, even tonight in our worship. I mean, you come and think, well, it's a Thursday night, and we normally don't worship on Thursday night. And if you can get past all that stuff, and any time you're in a place where people are calling upon the Lord, be present. Enter into that place and allow the Lord just begin that you will be changed. I believe you can be changed in a meeting like this, even if you're not hungry, just by proximity. Proximity is huge. I want to talk about that in a minute, but first let's read the scripture. Luke 9, we're going to verse, verse 28 to uh, somewhere, 36, I think. Let's do that, 28 to 36. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up onto the mountain to pray. So there's, there's intentionality with Jesus. He's going somewhere to pray. This was the rhythm of the Lord we see over and over in scripture. He would go away to an isolated place. He would come out empowered in the spirit. He'd heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy, preach the kingdom, all those kinds of things, and then go back. He would go back and get charged. He'd come out in the power of the spirit. He'd go back and get charged. He'd come back in the power of the spirit. It was a rhythm that we really need to make note of. And so, uh, so he was there, and he was taking his three best buddies up there, Peter, James, and John. Verse 29. And he prayed, and the appearance of his face was altered. Now, uh, this, is, this is spoken of in a couple different ways in the Gospels. Um, the face being altered, in Matthew, Matthew uses the word metamorphosis. That there was, uh, and and it, was a, it was a Greek word that was typically used for Greek gods. That Greek gods could literally shapeshift. They could, they could shift the way their bodies were. And so Matthew, Luke didn't choose that word, but Matthew chose this word, that this, there's a transformation that comes in the presence of the Lord. And we all kind of know that. I mean, we know, oh, yeah, I feel better. And, you know, I get, I get warm feelings on me. And I, you know, I feel like I want to do things better when I leave the presence of God. I get that, man. That's really, and that's really good. But I'm, I'm talking about something different, that in the presence of God, there's going to come an ability and a revelation to understand things in the unseen realm that you would have never seen otherwise. That's, that's part of the hunger. As you hunger after this, you will not go, not only go deeper in relationship with the Lord, but with that deeper relationship comes a higher revelation and a higher understanding. And, and God's trying to lure everybody. It's the passion of the Lord to lure everybody into the deeper presence of the Lord because there's stuff that you're going to get that is going to immensely help you through the things you face in your life. And so he prays, his appearance of his face is altered, his robe becomes white and glistening, and behold, two men, never seen a picture of Moses and Elijah, but then somehow they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease. So they're, they're talking, by the way, the word deceased there is not the typical word for death in the Greek. It's the word exodus. 
I mean, there's a lot of parallels here between Old Testament, New Testament stuff. But they're discussing Jesus' exodus. <laughs> that must have been an interesting conversation, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in this cloud are talking about Jesus' exit. And it says here in verse 32, but Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. I've just done a study on this over the past week. It's amazing how many times the disciples slept at key moments in Christ's life. They slept in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed. Actually, they slept three times. You know, Jesus came out and said, are you sleeping? Could you not tarry for one hour? And he goes back to pray and they fall asleep again. Jesus comes back and says, you're still sleeping? And Peter didn't know what to say. The Bible says that, and he didn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say either. But then he fell asleep again. I mean, I, I love reading about Peter. He makes me feel so good about myself. I just think, my gosh, man. I found just in, in chapter 9 the other day, I found, I found seven moments of dysfunction by the disciples. I mean, in one chapter, seven dysfunctional moments. But somehow God continues to use them in very, very powerful ways, you know. So Peter's there in, in his typical way. He's, he's heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, in other words, this revelation, this thing that happened with Moses and Elijah, woke them up. And it, that's where we get our term for awakening. The church right now needs an awakening. They saw his glory and the two men stood with him. Verse 33, then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, I, I love this. I mean, it's very, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't even know what to do with it really. But he, he says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. You, does that kind of feel like an understatement of the year? I mean, they're, they're meeting up with two of their heroes of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, and Jesus is there. And they're getting to witness this thing. And they say, it's good to be here. And he says, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. See, it's, a, it's our response. It's a natural response. When you're in a, a spiritually awkward moment, you want to do temporal things. You're just like, well, would you like a cup of coffee? I mean, I, I, I'm surprised he didn't offer something like that. It was just, it's like you're, you're, you're not getting it. I mean, Jesus had to be thinking, you guys are really cute, man, but you're just kind of missing the whole, the whole moment here. And, he, and so he, he, he says, uh, uh, you want to do this? Uh, we, could, we could make three tabernacles, which on the top of a mountain, possibly Mount Hermon, we're talking sticks and leaves. I mean, for some incredible moment like this in verse 34 and he was saying as he was saying this in other words he was he was continuing to talk luke only writes down so much of what peter says because we can tell already it's not really going anywhere and he says verse 34 while he was saying this a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear him in other words it's like shh this is a really important moment. You don't need to ask any questions. We don't need to build anything. You don't need to gather any sticks and leaves. Just hear my son. You know, back in Toronto in the early days when people fall on the floor, they've, they felt guilty for laying on the floor. They felt awkward. They possibly never laid on the floor in a church before and laughed. It felt disrespectful. It felt like, you know, uh, it, it felt dishonoring in some way. And we would see even priests, some did and some couldn't. But many of them, we'd say, just stay on the floor. This is like spirit, we, the little phrase we'd say is, this is like spiritual surgery. You wouldn't want to get up in the middle of surgery. Wait till it's done. God's doing something in your life. 
And Carol Arnett, John's wife, was just, she was the queen of soaking. I mean, she would stay with people sometimes two and three in the morning. One person just soaking them in prayer and watching as the waves of God just came over them. It is so important for us to have these encounters in our life. Because these encounters open something up in a spirit realm in you. You get transfigured in the midst of what's going on. Sometimes just by being around other people. I remember Bob Jones back in 06. Bob Jones came up and was ministering in our church. And we had a lot of connection with Bob over the years. And I'd just been diagnosed with uh, actually stage three at that time. Stage three cancer. It was, uh, uh, it was uh, treatable, uh, but it was incurable. And so, uh, you know, I was disturbed by that. I was 49 years old. It just felt way too young to be battling with something like that. And I had, uh, you know, been struggling. I had been diagnosed about three, three months, but Bob's in town. And if you knew Bob Jones at all, you know that sometimes when Bob's around, uh, strange things can happen, you know. And so uh, I went home that night and I had, a, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing in front of a full-length mirror and I had an English tweed jacket on. And I was kind of buffing the jacket, you know, to make sure it fit right, looking into the full-length mirror. And uh, I was singing a song. Uh, typically don't sing, but I was singing, there's a nightingale in the house. There's a nightingale in the house, you know, and I'm singing that. I actually woke up singing that song. My wife said, what are, what are you doing? It was like 2 in the morning. So I'm singing. She said, well, if you're singing, if you're going to sing, do you mind going in the other uh, bedroom to sing, you know? And uh, I, I was puzzled by that because I knew it was a God dream. And I, and I thought, Lord, what is that? So I go down, and like all Christians, you know, do you get your interpretation from Google. And so I went down to Google, and I, I quickly type in uh, Nightingale uh, Christian Symbolism. And it pulls up like, I don't know, it was hundreds and hundreds of sites, you know. And so I start reading through it. And the first one that caught my eye, I read through it, and it said, The Nightingale stands for the ancient Christian omen of death. And so I'm thinking, I'm singing a song in my dream. Death is in the house. Death is in the house. And then it explains. It explains because it's the, it's the only bird that sings at night. You know, it's the nightingale. There's a song. It's like a mournful kind of a middle of the night. It's all over. This is your life. And so I stayed up the rest of the night. I was really kind of discouraged about that. And, you know, I go into the conference the next day. Bob's sitting in the room. I go in. I try to put on my happy face, you know. Say, hey, Bob, how you doing? He goes, okay. And he said, in Bob fashion, he said, so how did you sleep last night? I said, well, I had a dream. You did. What was it? And I said, well, I tell him the story, English tweed jacket, you know, nightingale in the house, nightingale in the house. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my mind, Bob, this is not good. This is not good. No, Bob, it's not good. I looked it up in Google. It's not good. And he says, because Nightingale is Florence Nightingale. She's the healer. And I thought, and there's that. <laughs> Google God. Google God. I'm going with the God thing. There's a Nightingale in the house. There's, not, there's a healer in the house. And so from that point on, Nightingale became like my uh, battle cry. Every time I got a bad test, and trust me, over the, the seven to eight years before I finally got rid of this stuff, uh, over the seven to eight years, uh, every bad result, it's spread here. It's choking out your aorta, you know, this is not good. More things need, all that kind of stuff. I would just turn to my wife and we'd both look almost at the same time. We'd go, there's a nightingale in the house. There's not, see, when you have an encounter 
or you're in a place of somebody who is an encountering kind of a person. When you have that, there's the potential. You are on a mount of transfiguration. There's something that can change inside of you, and God was reshaping something inside of me. This is why it's so important to create a vortex of the presence of God. When we come together, we are in expectation. We are hungry. We're believing for major things. It's a little sleepy in here tonight. Don't worry, we're all sleepy right now. We're, but we're coming out of it. Gulliver's rising. Bob Jones had a word in 05. I was there when he gave it in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he says, Gulliver's going to rise. The head was in Cleveland. I'm so happy about that. That's where I'm from. Head's in Cleveland. Cleveland will rise. And when Cleveland begins to rise, it's going to spread down to the heart, Columbus. The reproductive organs were in uh, Cincinnati. The right hand was in Indianapolis. All these things are symbolic if you never heard the word. The left hand was in Philadelphia. The right foot is in Nashville. And the left foot was in Charlotte. And uh, when, when Gulliver rises up, Bob used to call me and say, so is it rising yet? I go, no, Bob. And he goes, well, why not? Like it was my responsibility. I said, I would say, Bob, it was your vision. <laughs> you know, what are you doing about it? So, uh, so anyway, uh, when the Cavaliers won last year, the, the uh, slogan that is, was associated with it was Cleveland Rising. In fact, in 2014, and the top of the fold of the front page, when LeBron James returned after being a prodigal to South Florida somewhere, he came back to Cleveland in the NBA. And when he, as, when he came back, it was on the, the top half of the front page of USA Today. It said, Cleveland is rising. That was two, two and a half years ago. And so we've been watching as this major rising is happening in our city, unprecedented. After a 50-year slide of losing up to 10 thousand people a year for 50 years. It has been an amazing drop. And we hit bottom somewhere around 06. We began to flutter around for a while. And then there was the 08 debacle, financial debacle. But in the recent years, there's been a turnaround. Right now, there were 17 major uh, buildings, some of them skyscrapers that are being built in our city right now. Housing prices for the first time in decades are starting to move up. People returning into the city. The city is turning into a great city. There's something very powerful happening right now. But I don't just want a civic revival. We want a spiritual revival. The head is going to rise, and eventually it's going to reach Charlotte. And and the prophetic word said that when Gulliver rises up, a giant that has been tied down by little people with, you know, Lilliput, Little people with little input. That's what Bob said. Little people with little input. When they break that bonds and begin to stand up, both feet will come, uh, will set foot in Atlanta and the entire South will be one. Now we've been using that as our mantra now for, for 11 years. We've been calling forth and saying the body of Christ, but we know the head must rise first. There's amazing things. The call is coming to Cleveland July 22nd of this year. We're doing an Azusa Cleveland. And I know you guys are planning on something down here in Charlotte, too. There's going to be something in Orlando uh, later on this year. But there's, there's, there's this thing happening where Cleveland is being awakened, but still a little bit groggy. And I'm just giving you fair warning because you are, that God is about to move in this city. Now, here's the thing that's associated with this Gulliver Rise. This is something about being in the presence of God. That he, Bob Jones said that a half a million young people would come together. What he called the Woodstock would come together be a major outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Heidi Baker in 09 told me, she said, now Heidi Baker tends to not prophesy, but she's an incredible woman. She told me, she said, Steve, 
Hundreds of thousands are about to be swept into the kingdom of heaven. And I said, in this area? I thought, is that like worldwide or what? She said, in this area. And that was, that was in Cleveland, Ohio. So as that begins to rise and this begins to happen, there is a wave that's coming down. God's about to raise something up in a major way. Now, I know your people have been hearing prophetic words for many years. And some of those words come about in the ways you think and other words don't come about in the ways you think. I want to tell you something right now is a place to gaze upon the Lord for him to begin to prepare, to begin to transform us and begin to touch us in the very core of who we are. So in verse 34, it says, a cloud came and overshadowed them. They were fearful as he entered the cloud. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days of anything they had seen. They were in shock. They were in shock. It's a transfiguration moment. God is calling us as we behold the presence of the Lord. That's why churches like this are so important. It's why gathering together is so important. Yes, you can do this individually. But when you corporately come together and you begin to behold the Lord and his glory comes, when his glory comes, you are being changed in very powerful ways. I mean, when I had that dream, it was just really being around Bob that allowed me to get a clear understanding. Otherwise, I would have gone on for 10 years thinking that the spirit of death was in my house and it was inevitable. But one prophetic word turned that around, gave me a mantra, and what the enemy intended for evil, God brought about for good. And so three and a half, four years ago, I went through stem cell transplant. And during that time, I mean, there's so many really cool things the Lord did. But he told me the summer before, he, he really committed to me that I was not going to die. He said, you're going to walk through Psalm 23. And so quickly, I remembered Psalm 23. It makes me lie down. Yeah, I'm going to do a lot of that. You'll leave me beside still waters. Okay. Uh, let's see. He restores my soul. Uh, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But he will be with me, you know. His rod and his staff will come. So Psalm 23 became my, my daily prayer. I'd say, Lord, I'm walking through the valley of shadow of death. But on the other side of this, you're preparing a banqueting table in the presence of my enemies. Now, here's, here's my theory. My theory is, is that from the 1994, 95, 96 Toronto blessing opened something in my life that now anything that I face in my life it's accompanied with supernatural understanding and supernatural keys to either get delivered out of it or walk through it to the other side. With what we're facing right now, even in our nation and what's going on around the world, I mean, Venezuela right now is blowing up. It's falling apart. The Middle East is great tragedy. In Syria, of course, we all know with the refugees and everything else and the stirring. And we know what that Brexit in England and four or five other European countries right now are considering leaving the, uh, the EU also. And here in the United States with the recent election that we have, I mean, there's so, there, we are in a moment right now. I believe we're in a renaissance. About two months ago, the Lord woke me up and said, what if I told you that you were in a 500-year renaissance? And I thought, well, I didn't even know if my eschatology believes that. You know, that I, I, are you going to, like, come first and, you know, rapture and all those kinds of things? Are we going to be taken away or something like that, you know? And 500 years, that means that there's a, a new birth, a renaissance's new birth arising, and and it kind of messed with my thinking, but the amazing thing is it brought great hope to me that God is actually in control of everything that's going on around the world right now. And he's calling for his people to learn to dwell in his presence, whether you're with other believers or not. Let me just read one more verse, and then I'll, I'll, 
Uh, turn with me, if you could, to Second Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, we're going to look at verse uh, 7 here in just a moment. While you're turning there, though, a few years back, the Lord showed me this thing about proximity with Jesus. And you could, if you could picture that, if I had a whiteboard, I'd show you right now. But picture Jesus. And then who was closest to Jesus that we know scripturally? It was John, right? So John would lead his head upon Jesus' chest. And so it's proximity. Because of his proximity to Jesus, there was greater revelation that came upon him. In fact, if you go all the way out to the outer bands of that circle, you've got the 5,000. And here's what it says about this before we read this scripture in in Corinthians. The 5,000, their relationship with Jesus was they heard what he said, they were healed, and they were touched by him. The revelation was, they said, and this is right out of scripture, they said, he touches us. So the outer bands of proximity around Jesus, those are the furthest out, they get touched by God. And that's a good thing. I mean, the Lord actually uses that as a lure to draw you in closer to intimate relationship with the Lord. The second group from the outside would be the 70. The 70 had relationship. Their relationship was he sent them where he was about to go. That's right out of scripture. What was the revelation? Demons are subject to our name. So there was like a greater authority upon them than there was in the outer band because they're moving in closer in proximity to where God is. There's a hunger there. There's a passion for it. The third group in would be the 12. The 12 were sent out to heal. And the revelation was that, you know, like Peter said, you are the Christ. I mean, they understood broader dimensions than those that were 5,000 people out. The next group in would be the three. That was uh, Peter, James, and John, which we just read about. Their relationship was they heard the voice from heaven. The revelation was they got to see Jesus, Elijah, and Moses in a cloud. They're experiencing something supernatural that nobody else on earth had, had uh, experienced up to that point. And then finally, the one inside was John who leaned his head upon Jesus' chest And when you know it, he wrote a book in the Bible called the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So his revelation was immense. And yet even this man who was so close to the Lord, when the Lord appeared to him in his post-resurrected form, he felt like a dead man. I mean, it's just amazing, the understanding. And because of of his relationship, John never, uh, never died a martyr's death. He was close into the Lord. The others did. There's something about as you pursue the Lord, as you draw closer to the Lord, you get enveloped in what the Lord is trying to communicate to those that are around you. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be ready to close here in a minute. Verse 7 says this, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily look upon the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. So let's, in broad terms, just say the law, Moses, the glory, it was glorious, but it was a past glory. There's something that Hebrews would say is better that has come in Jesus Christ. Verse eight, it says, which, or verse seven, which glory was passing away. Verse eight, how would the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? Now, when you think about Moses up on the mountain and all he experienced, you think, well, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, that's amazing, you know, to hear the voice of God, to be there and to, to receive the commandments and the law and all the understanding that he got up in the mountain of the Lord. But here in this New Testament scripture, Paul makes it clear, how would the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? 
For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of, righteous, ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory to this respect because of the glory that excels. In other words, the new glory uh, almost makes the old glory not look like glory. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Now we drop down to verse 6. Hail is taken away. So here's the deal. As you get hungry and you make your passion just saying, you know what? I am going after God. I am going to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend time in the presence of God. When you turn to the Lord, it says right here, the veil is taken away, verse 17. And the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being, and this is the exact word out of, out of Luke uh, for transfiguration, are being transfigured, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when I was in Toronto in that season of my life, and was soaking in that, it was opening up something different for me. But even more than that, it's transforming who I am as an individual, how I see things, how I hear things, how I understand things. Just the other day, I had every year in April, I have uh, some significant, typically dreams. And I had one Friday morning, really early in the morning, about my dad who passed away 15 years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, when my dad passed away, it, it wasn't the best way to pass away. He, he had, he had a, a, a little bit of dementia. It, he, he was a, a very powerful, strong, charismatic guy. And to watch him whittle away was just very difficult, you know. And, and he loved traveling with me, you know, around the world. And so he said, we need to do another trip. And I said, Dad, you get strong, we'll do another trip. And he said, I w- we want to go to England. I said, yeah, we want to go to England. I've been to England. I wanted to take him, but we never... Got to go there, you know, and so, uh, but then he passed away, and so we weren't able to do that. So I had this dream uh, Friday morning, and in the dream, I was in a house with my niece, my niece who was 46 years old, and we're going through a house that I knew somehow was my father's house, even though it didn't look like any house that I ever knew that he had. And we're walking around, and uh, I see this uh, map, and it's marked my impression was it was where he lived. And he lived in Hampstead, England, according to this map. Now, he'd never been to England. We were going to go to England. We never made it. Apparently, he made it, though. Hampstead, England. So I looked at that, and I thought, he's in Hampstead, England. I wish I knew that because I go there a lot. I mean, if I was in England, I'd go visit him. I, I miss my dad. You know, It's been 15 years. And, uh, and then we went into another room, and uh, he, there was a TV there, and he was on TV. And he was about 38 years old. Like He died when he was 74, but he, he looked very young, and he was strong, and he had like a, uh, a polo shirt on. He had muscles, you know. His hair looked really good. He was, you know, his skin was young, and, and I, I kept thinking, why, well, he is a TV star. And somehow I knew when I was watching it that he was in his second season. I, I, apparently I've been watching too much Netflix or something. He was in his second season, so it was a successful thing. And, and I thought, i got to get a picture of this to show my wife. So I take a picture with my phone, and when I look down at it, he turned away on the television before we could see his face, and I woke up. And I woke up, and I thought, what is that all about? So I started to, to just sit there and kind of uh, wait on the Lord. I thought, what is Hampstead? I wonder if it means something. So I Googled it. I Googled it, and Hampstead means homestead. So we were in his home. 
And the bottom line is, after the whole dream, and the Lord just really ministered to me for hours in the middle of the night, wore him down, and basically let me know that because my dad had not passed away well, the transition was difficult for him down here. I knew he'd be, he would not be happy if he knew how it all ended for him. And, uh, and because he's a great man, he won many people to the Lord and everything. But the Lord showed me, the Lord, I believe, gave me a glance into an unseen realm. I don't know that I was looking into heaven. I don't know if they have TV stars in heaven. I'm not sure how that works. But what the Lord showed me was is that he was well celebrated and that he was in a place that was a home for him, that he had made it to England, whatever that means in heaven terms. And and also, when I looked it up, the Hampstead is the uh, wealthiest community in all of the United Kingdom. And so there's a sense that he is secured, he is all right, he is, he is honored. He is favored. I was really feeling good about that on Friday. I just thought it, it literally was healing my thoughts from those times 15 years ago. By being in the presence of God, this is the amazing thing about the Lord. It's not all about information. It's about him actually reaching into your life and recalibrating your life, shifting things around, shifting attitudes, diminishing anger, all kinds of things that he can, in the presence of the Lord, it's why we should long to be in the presence of the Lord because we are being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. It's why we worship. I mean, Victoria Osteen got big heat a couple years ago because she said worship is not for God, it's for us. When I heard it, I thought, it's true. It's true. God is not up there needing worship. I mean, obviously we worship. We're lifting up the name of the Lord. But what happens is we get transformed in the midst of worshiping and beholding the presence of the Lord. So anyway, you know, Friday I'm up. I'm pretty excited about this. My dad's okay. He's got a hot TV show. He's living in England. He's in a good neighborhood, you know. Things are going well for him. It's awesome. I wish I could go see him. And then I thought, oh, my niece Holly was in the dream. I'm going to call her. She, she deserves to know what happened because she was there in the dream. So I called her up, and I'm talking to her, you know, and, and, and I'm sharing the whole story, and she's really being touched by it. She's emotional at the other end. She's being emotional. I'm being emotional. We're kind of crying together. And I got the end. I said, Holly, I looked up Hampstead. You know what Hampstead means? It means homestead. He's in, he's in a safe place. He's home, you know, and we can be at peace. And, and she goes, Uncle Steve, she said, she goes, uh, you're not going to believe this, but yesterday, you know, his house out on the Riser Road in Louisiana. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, yesterday, my husband and I, Sean, uh, we made a, uh, an offer on his homestead. And I said, yesterday? And she goes, yes, yesterday. She goes, does that mean we're going to get the place? And I said, I don't know. I've gone through these things before. doesn't always mean that's what's going to happen, but... It is kind of an odd thing, you know. So anyway, uh, last night I was speaking to a group and in the midst of it, I threw out that story because it had just happened a few days before. And as I got to the point where the homestead and everything else, and, and, the, and I said, by the way, I talked to her and they were make, she made an offer on his homestead. Everybody got excited about it. They started clapping, you know, and just think it was kind of a cool little transition. And as I said that, my phone begins to ring. I'm speaking at our Wednesday night group. My phone begins to ring. I look down, it's her calling. And I said, oh, that's weird. She's just calling. And so everyone was yelling out, answer the phone, answer the phone, find out whether she got the house. And I said, no, no, my phone's doing weird things right now. I'll, I'll look later on. So I finished my, my teaching uh, uh, last night. We got the house. So I, I yelled it out and I said, she got the house. And everybody started cheering and everything. And I thought, Lord, this is a different realm that we're living in where we dream things. And somehow, Lord, the wall that separates the 
the present reality that we live in and the spiritual reality that's around us is being separated as we spend time in the presence of God. What if God began to move us into a place where we saw things that we could not see otherwise? We sense things that we would never sense. Why? Because we're being transformed in the presence of the Lord. One final verse here, uh, in, and it's a short one. In Second Corinthians 4, it says this, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts and gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, which means the face of God, the presence of God, presence of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 16, therefore do not lose heart. Even though your outward man is perishing, The inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's all stand together if we could. Is it okay for me to step down here in front of these speakers? Or is that okay? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, the bottom line of all that is that this moment right now can open up your heart to solve some mysteries that have been in your life for a long time. And, and that once you catch on to that, and most of you probably already get that, but once you catch on to that, the more you spend time in the presence of the Lord, the proximity to Jesus brings greater understanding into the realms that are unseen. It's all about him. It's always been all about him. As you pursue the Lord, you see. I mean, even in Revelation chapter 3, when behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and sup with him. And, and you remember that story, and evidently the door is opened up. And, and when Jesus walks in, when you open the door for Jesus to come in, it says in Revelation 4 verse 1, it says, and a door in heaven opened up. And the Lord said, come on up that I might show you what's about to happen. So you invite him in, he invites you up. As you're pursuing the Lord to commune, to know him, to be with him. It's why we study the word of God. It's why we spend time in his presence. It's why we have community with one another because we see Christ in one another. We are being transformed. So right now as we just wait in the presence of the Lord, just kind of hold your hands out, palms up like you're, you're expecting something from God. And we just want to wait in his presence here for a moment. I don't know if we have any musicians left or anything. That would be great. If not, we're not going to worry about it. But we just wait, Lord, right now in your presence. Lord, I speak over this group right now that came out on a Thursday night. Lord, only hungry people come out on a Thursday night. Lord, they're saying, I want to be touched by God. I I want to hear something I haven't heard before. I want... I want a transformation in my life. Lord, whatever they're struggling with, whatever their challenges are, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them in close, that they may experience you in a profound, new, and fresh way right now. So, Lord, we just say, Holy Spirit, come. Come right now with your power into this room. And we just wait patiently, Lord Jesus. Oh, for your glory. For your overshadowing, Lord. For your goodness, Lord, to pass beside us. We're 
hungry people seeking transformation. This room, huh, this room is the thin place. It's what the Celts of the 5th, 6th, and 7th century used to call a thin place. It's a place where you can almost see through into heaven. There's a, there's a veil. Not every place that go feels that way, but something about this building, I think, because of the people that are in it, the devotion, the desire, it's a thin place. There's going to be major encounters. In fact, I felt earlier to tell you, Rob, that we need to get carpet up front here sometime in the near future just for the purpose of ministry. Not that there's anything wrong with laying on a cement floor, but with what God's going to bring, there's going to be a need for places to just soak corporately to be in the presence of God and to be transformed, to have surgery done upon our hearts. So we invite your Holy Spirit right now, Lord, and just a wave of your Spirit just come right upon us, Lord. Your power right now. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. We forget about our needs, our concerns. We just behold you, Lord. We're being changed and transformed. In your presence, in the name of Jesus. the importance of proximity and that there are there are places where the Lord for whatever reason it's just like you can sense the presence of God more than you can in other places not that he's not in other places but it's a thinner of thin places <laughs> and so I would just if you don't mind if we can just take a few minutes I'd like you to just come up let's stand around the front there's you know if you want to build a fire you bring the sticks close together so let's just move in a little bit closer to the front here for a few minutes I don't want to leave here tonight without, without giving an opportunity for some transformation to take place in some lives. <clears throat> Is Chris still in the back there? Are you back there, Chris? Is he in here? You're there. Okay, yeah. Chris, earlier when you were talking to me, the Lord was giving me a word over you that, that there's a, um, there's a, uh, like a, um, like a fish hook. The Lord has hooked you. It's sharp on the, the one end like a fish hook is, but it speaks of, a, of a, a valley that you've been in. There's like a dip, like a fish hook, but there's a vertical rise that's coming in your life. And there's something in these next 18 months that's coming to you that's going to be a, uh, it's, it's going to be like a, what would be a, a meteoric ascension. There's something of, of a rapid opportunity that's coming into your life that's going to transform everything that you're doing. And there's a faithfulness that's really needed in your heart right now, which has already been there. I know you're, you're serving. You told me a little bit of what you're doing. But the Lord's about to turn something around right now. There's a, but there's been a change that he's been doing in your heart that has been necessary for where he's about to take you. And I feel that you're going to be one of those guys that we say, 
what a, what a privilege it was to have him in our midst. And this is going to be a safe place for you that you can return to from what God is using you in. And it's, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say, but this, I, I, I keep getting like a, like a Hollywood thing or something like that. I don't know what, it, I don't even know what that means, but it's, it's something of a, of a, an, an, an unreal person, an, an unreal opportunity that is that is being that is going to unfold, and though we bless that right now upon him, there's there's something of dreams that have been truncated, that have been hesitated, that have been delayed in some way, and and in some case, uh, as we all we've heard various messages that delay does not mean denial, and it's really true that that God is stirring something in everyone in this room of a new desperation. And you either can say, you know what, I, I, if the Lord wants me to have it, I'll have it. But I just, I'm just weary of running after this thing. Or you can say, Lord, I hunger for you, Lord God. I hunger for what you have. I just believe that in the hunger and the beholding of the Lord, there's change. Some of you have had things in your life, even in your personality. You've thought, you know, I, it just it's not going to change. I, I've tried to change. I've tried to take care of this. It's not, I'm telling you, time in the presence of the Lord, beholding him people are going to see it like they did with Moses when he came off the mountain, like they did with Jesus when his face was reshaped, it was changed, his robe was white and glistening. There's something where you go to work on Monday morning and people are like, what what happened? Something looks different with you. There's that kind of a change where joy and peace is going to rule your heart. And we declare it over you right now. For those that are here tonight, obviously we prayed over the whole church. There's something of a touch of joy and peace upon this group here tonight. And Lord, we speak it in the name of Jesus as we behold your presence. Lord, we've come together as twigs, little firebrands, Lord. We're just waiting for the fire in the name of Jesus. And as we've grouped ourselves together into this bonfire right now, I ask, Lord, that you would move right now across this room up here in the front, begin to recalibrate souls, begin to recalibrate spirits, begin to touch minds with fresh understanding. And you may not get all the answers right now, obviously, but you're going to, a peace is going to come upon you that passes all understanding, all understanding. The days are coming in the near future where this place will, will be filled over and over again. In fact, a lot of the people will come and they'll only come one time. Maybe because there's no room, I don't know. They're only going to come. This is going to be a place of like a conduit, a flow through. It's going to be like a, uh, uh, a uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, one of those um, time time warp, uh, uh, outer space, a, a portal, yeah, where you get sucked into a whole new dimension in God. People are going to come here and get pulled into destinies. They're going to see something through the veil of this place as it's being removed. They're going to behold the face of the Lord. Worship is going to mark this church in a major way. Not only, obviously, with John Mark and others, like this guy who led tonight was great. These guys, I mean, you're already marked by it. But I'm talking about a community. In fact, North Carolina with the Helsers and so many others have been marked so strong with worship. Amber Brooks and there's so many others. uh, Leonard Jones and we can go on and on, you know. I mean, there's substantial marking of worship upon this state for some reason. And so we just bless that right now, even in this congregation, creativity in the name of the Lord. 
and we just receive you right now. I feel like I'm coming back to that. A couple more minutes here, Lord Jesus. We wait in your presence, Lord. We ask for the move of your spirit, the power to be released. Release, Lord, for breakthrough. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. struggle uh, sleeping at night. We just speak peace. We speak, Lord, if you're not sleeping, there's no opportunity for dreams. We just speak, Lord, dreams, peace, even tonight, Lord God, that there would be supernatural understanding released to come upon your people, Lord. Just release it to the Lord. Just commune with the Lord. for that prophetic whatever that thing is Lord that prophetic desire passion childlike pursuit of God that would mark this church in a very powerful way in the name of Jesus Some of you may have to go because of children or whatever, and that's fine. If you want to take a few more minutes and soak in this, this we always try to, you know, we found out, and I know you found this out at Morningstar too, but in Toronto, we found out a lot of times we would we would leave a little early, and, and there would be just another wave of the presence of God that would come. And so we're kind of dismissed, but if you want to hang out up here a few minutes, that's fine too. Just ask, Lord, for greater transformation, the renewing of your mind. Just speak, Lord, that transfiguration 
in our lives conform us into the image of Jesus. As we look at you, Lord Jesus, in the mirror, may we see the reflection of ourselves being changed and transfigured into your love and your peace and your grace, Lord, and your mercy. Lord, for those things that you're about to do in this region of the country, Lord God. Let us be a people, Lord, that are, that are understanding the times and knowing what to do, eager and hungry for you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. for peace, for some kind of an inner peace in your life. You've really been struggling with that lately, like you've, you're losing or been, your peace has been attacked in some way. Who is that? Just raise your hand around the room. Okay, that's about probably 15 of you or so. Keep your hand raised just for a second. Those that are nearby, just lay a gentle hand upon them. We just speak, Lord, your peace upon them. Just look and see who's nearby. We speak peace. Be still in the name of the Lord. your presence, Lord, come upon them. When they lay their head on their pillow at night, that they're not thinking of the hundred things they need to do tomorrow. But instead, Lord, they enter into a rest. Rest is going to be a huge weapon in the days ahead. The rhythm of going to the mountain, coming down and lowering heaven. Going back to the mountain, coming down and lowering heaven. Let peace and rest come upon them in the name of the Lord. Let a fresh joy Consume them in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a, I had a vision. I'm trying to understand how to relate this, but I saw. Uh, it looked like a gold ring, and on the top of it was a green, some kind of a green stone. And I had this impression that someone had lost a ring like that. Had anyone, anyone here lost a ring that looked anything like that? Or maybe you lost a ring, something like that, and you don't remember yet, but it's coming. <laughs> I know about Revelation, lots of times it, it's, it takes a second for it to register or to, or to anyone. Let me just put the word out. I'm just going to put this word out. Someone lost a ring. I think it was gold. It was ornate, but it was precious metal, but I think it was gold. And on the top, was a, it had a green stone in it. The ring was lost. Someone is going to find that ring or it's going to be restored and it's going to mark a new season of restoration that's coming. I know that's a very strange thing to say, but I don't care anyway. I just believe the Lord's saying that 
So, Lord, we just release this word uh, of restoration. Lord, thank you, too, for Steve Witt. We just love, love you, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. Lord, thank you for being here. Lord, mark us with your people. The one about worship. The one about a place where people are pulled into a vortex of who you are. Your death, their destinies. We agree with that, Lord. We, we agree that we're a unique place that you have planned for before we knew. You planned this place. You planned for us to be here. You have a plan for us that's been worth waiting for. We say yes to your plan. We say yes to the part we know, and we say yes to the part we don't know. But we say yes to your plan. We say we're in. Lord, I'm fully in. My wife and I, were fully in. We're in. Lord, we're in. In we are. <laughs> We're in. Rabas, Komondos, Kari, Porandos, Karasha. Osakando, Moliamanje, Kosupra, Chendos, Afas, Hapra, Kedramandias. Even as it was prophesied years ago in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains and nations shall flow into it. Even has the Lord established this place, even from ages ago, that many should flow. For this shall become one of those mountains, one of those high places, one of those places where the air of earth is thin and the breath of heaven is near. This shall be known as a place where oxygen from heaven can fill your lungs and restoration will come as easy as falling off a slippery log in a rainstorm. For the Lord is promising to bless the unblessable. He's promising to deliver people from deserved circumstances and choices and decisions for the Lord is a good God, yes Hask lo ran demo I say opraendo kuskalash shalava sonono kanana brienda for the kindness of the Lord shall mark not just a place but a people and kindness shall be the reputation of that people and goodness shall be the testimony of that people. And it shall be known far and wide that God has taken a stand in this place and has smiled upon this place with a broad smile that will never end. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that, Lord, as crazy as that sounds, but I just believe that, Lord. Smile on us, Lord, with that everlasting smile. Let the goodness of the Lord be our portion, Lord. From generation to generation, Lord, let us be involved in a 500-year renaissance. Let America change. 
Let America be pre-Christian, Lord, not post-Christian. But let our nation ring with goodness and open arms in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So be it. So be it. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to this, folks. This dear, dear young lady came up. She said, I was talking about her grandmother's ring that's been stolen. I'm sorry? It would have been for your mom. So we command in the name of Jesus, ring come. Ring come in the name of Jesus as a mark of a restoration of this entire family lineage in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Lord, I just believe that you're, you've called, uh, Stuart into a new place of agreement with you about things, uh, that will only come in the Clark's life through agreement with heaven. So, Father, we ask that you put that amen in Stuart's heart in every place you speak to him about so that agreement will come and the destinies will be fulfilled for Stuart and Courtney and the boys, in Jesus' name, amen. Where's Jim Buchan? I saw him a minute ago. Oh, stop talking. I have... Father, we just bless Jim Buchan. We bless uh, the whole entire family, and we release a new level of influence through the writing, through the written word. Uh, we open a door that's been shut for many years that you've cried out for. We release the opening of the door. I see the angel of the Lord. Um, it's, it's like the door uh, was supposed to be opened, but the devil had rusted the hinges. But I see the angel of the Lord with one of those oil cans squirting oil on the hinges of the doors uh, that are to open for you. And, the, and I feel like the Lord is saying... Um, Big doors turn on very small, insignificant hinges. And so, Father, we release that insignificant episode, event, person, or situation that swings wide the door that you have promised for the Buchan family's life in Jesus' name. Is there a, someone here? And, and is there a Claire? A Claire, is that a name, first name, middle name, last name, son, daughter? Yeah, that ring wasn't really God either, was it? <laughs> a Claire. Claire Bell. You know, I was thinking, do you know what? The only thing that's missing in your in the dream about your dad? You. He wanted to be there with you. So the place you saw for him is the same place God has for you, just not now. Everything you felt about what your dad was getting would be incomplete 
because your dad wanted you there. He said, I want to go to England. I want to go to England with you. So you see this thing about England, a place he never got to that he is now. But the only thing missing was you. I'm feeling real just charged up here. I'm liable to just... Oh, Kanda. Let's, let's pray. Let's Kino Salah Hendo Kash Berios Bilan Ye Manun Rika Handar Hoshi Kababas Dobriakendos. Yes, and this shall be a household where troubles stop on the road. And this shall be a trouble free zone. This shall be a place where joy and happiness is caught. Like a viral pneumonia that nothing can stop, like a major virus. And it shall be intoxicating and it shall be not deadly, but lively and heavenly. For joy and gladness shall be the reputation of this place. And it shall be for four generations of people, for infants, parents, grandparents, great grandparents. And there shall be restoration of family lineages in this place because trouble will stay at the street and will come under the feet of Jesus. And those that come into this place, they breathe in a breath, a breath of an atmosphere of, um, that paralyzes the worrisome uh, activity of the devil because of the blood of Jesus. Those people shall be permeated with a contagion, a glorious contagion of uh, the heavenly atmosphere. Amen. I keep, I keep feeling this thing about people finding precious stones in places they shouldn't find them. And I, I believe the Lord is charging us to be sensitive to, to find those precious living stones uh, as we're out and about and to pay attention to who the Lord really wants to speak to. He wants us to tell people about Jesus that... Uh, uh, but if, if we'll be sensitive, it'll be like finding precious stones, finding, I, I don't know why it is I keep that, there's a stone called lapis lazuli or something that's in the Bible. And, but there are these uh, agates and there are these, um, there are these jewels. And, the, and really it's not, not I mean, there could, we could, could be that you actually find something in the natural, but it, it's like the Lord sees these precious stones in hidden places that no one has taken the time to, to speak to the beauty hidden in these people. Stevie. Okay. 
Um, I'm done, I think. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Let's give it up for Steve. Amen. And the worship team and everybody, thank you so much. Ushers, all you guys that helped, thank you so much. Amen.